MSW Media. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Kalai King. I am Dan Dunn, and what we're drinking on this episode is Casa Dragoni's Barrel Blend. It's a brand new Añejo tequila from one of my favorite producers. Coming up in just a few minutes, I'm going to enjoy some of this sweet, sweet nectar with Everybody Loves Raymond creator and Somebody Feed Phil star, Phil Rosenthal. Also joining us, Emmy-nominated comedian, writer, Tom Caltabiano, regular guests on the show. I'll also be talking with Berta Gonzalez Nieves, who co-founded Casa Dragones, along with MTV creator and iHeart Media CEO Robert Pittman. So we're going to be packing lots of tequila info into this episode. I hope you're ready. Case in point, there's no question we're living through a golden age for agave spirit lovers. At any decent liquor shop, you're likely to have as many as 40 different high-quality craft tequilas and mezcals to choose from. Wind the clock back just 20 years, though, and you'd be looking at two or three lonely products, often larded with caramel color, non-agave filler ingredients. So how do we go from there to here? Tequila and mezcal are both distilled from agave, a giant starchy plant that grows in the desert soil of Mexico. For thousands of years, the native population of Mexico used agave to brew polque, which is a fermented beverage with the approximate strength of beer. Recent evidence has shown that certain native groups may have figured out how to distill polque into something stronger in the pre-Columbian period, but the real explosion of distilling came in the 1500s after Spanish colonists arrived bearing advanced tools and techniques. Over the following centuries... Production of vino mezcal, as distilled agave spirits were referred to for most of their existence, they thrived, primarily through small-scale, homegrown production. Farmers made the stuff for themselves, their families, and friends, and sometimes traded it with their neighbors. By the 1700s, some larger-scale commercial operations had hatched, including one belonging to a young man named Jose Antonio Cuervo, the first official licensed producer of mezcal. By the 1780s, Cuervo was producing 800,000 liters a year until 1785 when the operation was unceremoniously shut down by Charles III of Spain, who banned production of mezcal and polque in Mexico in what was a misguided attempt to stimulate imports of Spanish wine and brandy. Didn't happen. What did happen was the ban drove mezcal production underground, literally. To hide their production from law enforcement, local farmers took to digging holes in which to bake their agave before fermentation. The trapped wood smoke from the underground baking process imparted those smoky flavors we associate with today's mezcal. Ten years later, Spain realized it could make more money taxing mezcal than banning it and lifted their production prohibition. 
The first guy in line for a post-prohibition license was Jose Maria Guadalupe Cuervo, Jose Antonio Cuervo's son. The Cuervos fired up the stills again, which is to say they tried to make it look like they hadn't been producing black market hooch for the past decade. And the modern age of tequila production began in earnest. In 1800, distillers started experimenting with aging tequila in wood, leading to the Reposado and Añejo styles we enjoy today. Americans first learned about mezcal and tequila the same way this great nation learns about most things, through war. In 1821, Mexico won its independence from Spain. Then in 1836, a bunch of folks in what was then northern Mexico decided they should have their own country too. Santa Ana sent an army to put down the Texas Rebellion, and things got ugly. Remember the Alamo? In any case, as Mexican troops streamed north to fight, they brought a steady supply of their beloved mezcal, some of which inevitably ended up in the hands of Texan soldiers, who ten years later would start calling themselves Americans. As the 1800s progressed, many mescaleros in the Lisco region began to differentiate their production style from others by using above-ground ovens that didn't impart those smoky flavors in the baking process. In 1870, several of the major producers of this smoke-free style petitioned the Mexican government to allow them to name the spirit after a dusty little town in the heart of Jalisco, you guessed it, Tequila. This boss branding move, combined with the expansion of the railroads during this period, primed the pump for tequila to outshine mezcal for the following century. In 1873, the first barrels of tequila were exported to the United States, and in 1893, Sinobio Sousa took his, quote, mezcal brandy to Chicago's World Fair, where he won an award, further boosting tequila's popularity. When U.S. prohibition rolled around in the 1920s, it inspired a lively black market trade over the southern border, not unlike the whiskey bootlegging operation out of Canada. For most of the 20th century, the Cuervo, Salsa, and Herradura brands dominated the U.S. market with decent, if unexciting, products, and the invention of the frozen margarita earned tequila a reputation as the scourge of college students everywhere. It's a time of relative stability. Then in the 1990s, it all went plum loco. The premium tequila market really started to emerge with the introduction of Patron in 1989 had a premium look and feel at a time when we hadn't seen much of that in the tequila category. Suddenly, tequila was cool, and people were willing to pay for that style and image. Remember all those local farm producers from back in the 1500s? Turns out they never stopped making tequila. They just didn't have the wherewithal to get it into the U.S. Over the last 35, 40 years, however, inspired by the rampant success of Patron, smaller producers have been trying to crack the U.S. market. Brands like El Tesoro, Tequila Ocho, Fortaleza, Sierra Leguas finding similar success, all of which has paved the way for Mexico's OG spirit, Mezcal, to make a comeback. To understand the difference between tequila and Mezcal might help to think of them like the liquors of the British Isles. Tequila is more like gin, clean, refined and consistent. Mezcal, on the other hand, is more like scotch. Smoky, funky, unpredictable, and made by a host of highly idiosyncratic producers. Over the past decade, there's been a massive rise in quality mezcal available stateside. Brands such as Del Maguey, Vago, Coqueo Mezcal, and El Jorjorio leading the way. These days, there are so many new mezcals on the market, it can be hard to keep up, even for people who follow this stuff professionally like yours truly. If you want my advice, don't worry about becoming an expert. Just dive into the deep end. If you haven't sampled the new wave of high-end tequilas, see what all the fuss is about by picking up a bottle of, say, 
the new Casa Dragoni's Barrel Blend. To understand what aging does to tequila, taste the Blanco, then the Reposado, which is aged 3 to 12 months, and then Añejo, anything over one year age. Taste versions of the same tequila side by side. Trust me, it'll make you feel good. And with that, let's move on to our first interview. Joining me now via Zoom, my preferred method of communication these days, uh, two fine gentlemen who have been on this show uh, on several occasions. Always great having them. Uh, The first guy is a comedian, creator, actor. I don't know. Is he an actor? I don't know. He writes, stuff like that. Emmy-nominated writer, Mr. Tom Caltabiano. How are you, Tom? Uh, I'm very good. I don't. I don't know what to add to that list, Phil. But the applause is deafening. It is. It's deafening. <laughs> and then the other guy who's getting the deafening applause is the host of the wildly popular Netflix series, which has just released the the, the third season, brand new season. Somebody feed Phil, Mister Phil Rosenthal. How are you, Phil? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh boy, it's nice to be in the kitchen. <laughs> it's good to see both of you. I I we I haven't been in the kitchen all day. No. You got a that's a lovely no. kitchen you've got going on there. It really is. Pots, pottery in the background. Did you spin those pots yourself? Did you uh put them on the something thingy thing? Nothing in my life is done by me myself. That's not true. You created Everybody Loves Raymond. I had help. All right. Yeah. I'm going to say this straight up. I I spent last night watching several episodes of the new season of somebody feed phil including one from seoul south korea wow. where the tom you binged i binged and tom is in that episode as well i can tell you this it's thir- i i love the show you know this i've been a big fan of the show this the first two seasons but watching it now was a bittersweet experience because the first thought is my god this all looks so phenomenal i have to plan a trip so i watched i watched chicago i watched london and i watched seoul and i thought i want to go there and that's what people do when they watch these shows is i want to go to that place that phil took me to and i want to try that and everything looks so delicious my mouth was watering followed by the thought of when the hell am i ever going to get to be able to go there and will the place still with these half these places still be there when this is over do you have that at all, Phil? Like, do you worry that yeah, some of these places? I've been are- asked. I've been asked this a lot. What's it like to drop this show in the middle of a pandemic? Uh, and obviously, I have the same thoughts watching it now. Oh, look how the world used to be. Look how phenomenal it was. Look what we even took for granted. And that's part of it. Of course, I understand that. But what we're forgetting because we're in the middle of this tragedy really is that this will end and the reason i'm confident in saying that is only because it's ended every other time it's happened in human history right and the world will be there waiting for us the world is not blowing up this is a disease that's passing through and it's doing terrible things but it will pass and the moment we all have a reliable vaccine uh, which may be a year away, uh, we're going to feel comfortable and we're going to feel like, oh, we, the world is ours again. So I want people to watch the show not feeling melancholy about 
how things used to be, but the way they always watch the show, which is, oh, that looks great. Let's plan a trip to go there. As a matter of fact, you have time now to plan. So plan. Life is all about having something to look forward to, right? There's a scene in the in Chicago where you go and you get right in the top of the Chicago episode where you get this sandwich. What was that sandwich? And the guy like sticks his face in it. It looked like the greatest thing ever. It's the biggest bite I've ever seen a human being take. Is this guy from Al's Beef in Chicago. Those of you who've ever been there know what I'm talking about. This is the heaviest, soggiest, biggest hero sandwich of just wet, sloppy beef <laughs> in, a, in a soaked roll. And this guy just, I think he took half of it in his mouth. It was so shocking. I was, I, I'm rarely uh, surprised with food anymore, but this, this, this was amazing. How, how do you, we have talked about this before, but it still amazes me, Phil, is how do you pace yourself on these trips? Because you're eating, it just looks like such prodigious amounts of food. And especially when you were in Chicago and you alluded to that several times in the episode that you hadn't had a vegetable since you got there. How do you do it? How do you keep your body from breaking down? There's a few things. One, one is, you know how they make a dog food commercial? They don't feed the dog until the commercial. <laughs> so I'm the dog. I'm not eating until it's time to do the scene, right? Because why would I do that? It doesn't make sense. I want to be happy when the food comes. I want to be excited and enthusiastic. That's all I got going for me is yeah. that. So that's, that's everything. And then we keep it to one or two scenes per day. You're seeing a week's worth of shooting condensed into less than an hour. The other thing is I have a crew of 16 guys looking at me with their tongues hanging out. And I share almost every single thing I eat with them. I don't finish anything. There's a great scene in Chicago where you get the deep dish pizza and Phil just starts saying, get in here. And you see the whole crew, you know, they've, they've got their headsets on. They're just coming in and getting the P and it just, man. It Well, deep dish is such a thing where you, I don't know if you're like me, but I mean, half a slice, what they call a slice. That's see, you're done. Yeah. And they brought over four of these pizzas, whole it's pizza. Unbelievable. <laughs> do you have a, uh, so do you have a favorite yeah. place on the new season? Do you have a, do you have of the, of, there's five, five episodes, right? Yes. I, I think the most exotic, I love everywhere we go. Let me just say that. And, and I, I, it's not just baloney. I, I truly am in love with every place and I fall in love with every place because I'm going to the best places. I'm going to the best things to do in that. I'm seeing it in the most idealized, perfect way. And yet, this is completely accessible to anyone who goes. You just have to know where to go. So the public service part of my show is I'm showing you where to go. And it's not because I'm some genius. It's because I'm asking the experts. Oh, you usually have a handler there. You had a guy, when you were in Seoul, well, you had yeah. Tom, and that that's a disaster with Tom in there. But, but, Tom, um, but Tom, knew, Tom knew where uh, some of the places were that we'd been, right, Tom? You knew I've been to a couple of them. Uh, yeah, I, I'd been to Korea, I think, six times by that, wow. by the time of the show. And so uh, what Dan's referring to is Aaron the Fixer. That's where you have a fixer in every country who is kind of the advanced person. And then you had your own, Phil, your own knowledgeable Korean chef guy who went as well. It, it was the, uh, the, the thing I thought was interesting that I really wanted to try. The one that got me was the 
army is it army stew army soup you guys had army army stew. so tell yeah. us tell us a little bit about that this was developed by the the korean army i think after the war maybe or during the war when rations were low and they just took any meat any anything really and threw it in a pot from American from American GIs. And what's interesting is the guy, Key, who's in there, Dan, is from Philadelphia, but his mother is from North Korea. His father's from South Korea. And so he knew that soup from America. Phil, I had never heard of that soup before. And, and the irony is Phil lives next to Koreatown, but we had to fly 5,000 miles to find out that there's army soup a block away. By the way, I had, there, there were a few of those things where... I live next door to Koreatown, which is the largest Korean population in the world outside of Korea. And I didn't know some of these dishes. Why? Because I'm not Korean and I don't know. I only know the things that are, you know, that I'm exposed to. So one of the great things about traveling, especially if you love a cuisine, is you're going to the source. You're going to find, and you're going to have not only the best versions of the things you know, but all the undiscovered stuff that you never knew existed. So this tukbuki, right, this beautiful dish, of the of the rice cakes that I have with uh, Irene Kim, um, I came back. I didn't even come back. I went on I went on uh, Google, and I searched for Tukbuki in Los Angeles. And of course, it's right by my house. I can get. <laughs> yeah, you could have saved so much in airfare, Phil. So I, much I in airfare. I think it's the exotic part of it because I'm I'm now that I'm reviewing it. I think the Soul episode was the one that really got me because there was also a, a moment in there where you got the biggest crab that I've ever seen. Oh. And they make this crab. And you said, you said that the, the crab leg looked like a steak, which is true. But then they made a, a rice, uh, a fried, fried cra- crab fried rice out of the, yeah. In the shell. Yeah. And you, this, the expression on your face said it all, that that was one of the best things you'd ever had. The whole package, right? I mean, you go, you go into basically an aquarium, and you get to pick things out of the aquarium to eat. And so we, you know, it's the show. So I say, what's your biggest crab? And they give it to me and it's gigantic. And I've heard about restaurants where that crab or something close to it would be $800 if you wanted a crab like that uh, here in America. In this seafood market in Korea, the biggest one uh, there, this crab was $200. And not only that, that included the preparation of the crab in a restaurant upstairs. And they prepare it anywhere you like, any way you like it. We wanted it simply steamed and then with the scissors and the, and the you know, the nutcrackers and then the sauces to dip. And then they take the, the, the big main shell and the guts of the crab, the fat of the crab, they mix it with rice and make a fried rice. They season it. That whole dinner could feed eight people for two hundred bucks. So this is not this is not a you know even a luxury item, right? It is for us, but that's that's like that's dinner uh, for eight. And man, it was easily one of the best seafood dishes I've ever had in my life. The joy was written all over your face. Speaking of luxury items and and uh, and and putting things into your body, this show, of course, uh, Phil, is uh, what we're drinking, not what we're eating. It is, yes, and 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 so as a special surprise, and Tom, I feel bad now because 
Uh, <laughs> I really do feel bad because Phil and I both have a bottle each of the brand new Casa Dragoni's Barrel Blend uh, Añejo Tequila. It's Casa Dragoni's first uh, Añejo Tequila, hot off the presses. It's coming out this week. Uh, I got a bottle for Phil. I got a bottle for me. Tom, we will describe it to you uh, in great detail. You know what? What this tastes Dan, like. I'll, I'll, I'll be the. I'll play the part of the audience who's watching the show with nothing to drink. Yeah. Okay. So Let me just say this before we begin, Dan. Yes. Ha ha, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tom, see this? See it? Oh, you wow. Now, what's so special about oh, that Dan, one, Dan? Did you taste it already, Dan? I, I have not, Phil. No, I was waiting for you. Yeah. Here I am. Here right. I go. I'm gonna I wait. Said, I'm gonna wait for you. And while first of all, what about what? A, come on, people. The presentation is wow. that good? Yeah, look, I look, mean, when it comes to the black bottle, you gotta have confidence, right? Yeah. It's like a right. Look at that. Fits right in. By there. the way, I happen to love Casa Dragonis. Anyway, what's tell us about a little bit about where they come from, their history, and what they they. If I, correct me if I'm wrong, their other. Tequila, even their añejos, they don't have any color, right? No, this one. Well, you can see this one has a tiny bit of color from the from the back. Yeah. You can see it there. I mean, yeah. I would say this is probably. Uh, it looks like a apple juice, maybe, possibly. Uh, By the way, I, I and I should say that tequila is Phil's favorite spirit, also. So he's not just saying this is this is one of the things that I enjoy occasionally. Phil drinks about a bottle <coughs> a night, I think. So he's an expert on tequila. So you're I want a glass about- like Dan. I want a glass like Dan. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is the kind of glass you want to do here. So, uh, th- yeah, so the glass, I'm. it looks like, it, this is a tequila sipping glass I have. If you want to watch it on the, uh, on Instagram at the imbiber, you'll see what, what I'm drinking out of here. Um, so uh, let me tell you a little bit about this specific tequila. It just came, it's just coming out now in June. It's hundred percent blue agave. Of course, uh, this Casa Dragonis just celebrated its 10-year anniversary, a very high-end producer of tequila. Their their portfolio up to now can, uh, featured a, a Yovin, which is young, and a Blanco, uh, which can't, uh, tequila, which is a, uh, a silver, anything aged under two months in barrel, usually no age at all, no barrel at all on a Blanco tequila. So this one, this one here is aged in two types of oak barrels. You got some French oak and American oak. So uh, they blend these these two styles together. It's a very agave forward uh, tequila. I want to see what what Phil's thoughts are on it. He did bring up the the smoked gray glass. It's like a perfume style bottle. Would you say, Phil? Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's a dark. You know, it looks black to me, but but. Maybe it's a, a little smoked glass. So let's uh, we'll take a little nose on this one, and let's take let's see, Tom. Are you how well, are you feeling right describe now? Describe it. Uh, yeah, I have a cup. If of I'm coffee. doing it, it's going to be a, a big nose. Hmm. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! That's good. Did you taste it? I just did. Yeah. Oh, here I go. All right. Let's see. Drum roll. Phil, go. There's, you know, certain tequilas. It's just something you know immediately. If it burns the back of your throat, that's a sign that, oh, maybe this one is not for me. Uh, Other people may like some of that roughness. I do not. There were certain very famous tequilas that have that burn that I think are just, you know, why aren't I just drinking lighter fluid? 
But this is a very mellow and beautiful thing. And it has no zero burn. Zero burn. Beautiful taste. That's the, I see the slogan, zero burn. Yeah. Zero burn. There's a little bit of chocolate notes and then some fig, I think, and a little, it's a, I, I, are you getting any of that spice on this? Yes. I, I, I get a little bit of spice. Uh, it's, and again, this is an Añejo tequila, so everybody knows, you know, again, I, I mentioned Blanco, silver, that means anything two months or less, but generally it's going to have no barrel aging, okay? And then a Reposado, which means rested, is any tequila that's, that's, put in the barrel between two months and one year. Anything over that is an Añejo, which means aged. Now, they also created years ago the extra Añejo category, which I think is three years. Uh, three, yeah, I think it's three years or more, uh, extra Añejo. Right. Yeah, and then, but, so it's something like this, I think, is meant to be sipped. It's not something you're going to do in a cocktail, yeah. although... I did see that they had a recipe. I think it was somebody from PDT in New York, and you guys have been there, right, PDT? It's a speakeasy in New York. I think they're doing something with this that they're going to put on the menu, which is an an old-fashioned made with that. And that's something you can do. You can always experiment. There are certain uh, whiskey drinks that will work with aged spirits, other spirits like a tequila or an aged rum, and old-fashioned would be the one, I think, particularly that you can do this. I, I'd like to try this in an old-fashioned, although it's a little lighter, which is good. It's a, it's a, it's a very fine, it's very refined and very fine spirit that you want to just sip. I don't know that I would waste it by putting it in a mixed drink. What do you what what is it about? Because I've seen even on one of the episodes that I was watching last night, Phil, you ordered tequila. Oh, you were in uh, Chicago. And you said, do you have yeah. any tequila? I, and I know you love tequila. We've, we've done tequila. What is it that you love about tequila? Well, Tom, though, that, that we, we at, uh, when we were working on the show, at the end of every taping, we would celebrate with scotch. And we got very into scotch and single malt. And we even joined a, a little club, the Single Malt Society. And they would have a, a once-a-year thing where men would go and <laughs> just go around a convention hall and drink every scotch that they had. You must have been to these things. Phil just uh, wanted it for the skirts, by the way. He wanted yes, to wear Yes, yes. And I got very into it, and I had never had a great tequila. And when I did, it kind of changed my life because uh, the best ones, I think, are like very fine whiskeys. And, and I think the, the granddaddy for me was the, the and I, uh, I'm sure I'm not alone, the Don Julio 1942. Sure. But that is almost a sugar bomb next to this. Uh, you're right. This, again, is very subtle. And just so you know, Casa Dragones, when you go to the Jalisco, which is the main the state in Mexico where the overwhelming majority of tequila, it's mandated by the government that it's got to be. There are a couple of places outside of Jalisco where they can legally make tequila. But Jalisco is is where the bulk, just like the bulk of bourbon is made in Kentucky. It doesn't have to be, but it is. So... This one, Casa Dragones, is located near the town of Tequila, which is about an hour and a half to two hours west of Guadalajara. Then you have, if you go east, you've got your Highland Tequilas. Uh, You go about an hour and a half, two hours east. So this one is, yeah. But just delicious, subtle, you know, it's it's a breakfast tequila, obviously, because that's when we're recording this right now. It's uh, a breakfast 
breakfast tequila. That's only that only an alcoholic would say. <laughs> I said to Tom when we were when we were setting up the interview. I said, "Are you sure you want to do it this early? Phil's ready. Yeah, right into his lunch." No, because I didn't really have an apple today so far, and I've had three sips, and I'm like, I'm a, really a lightweight." But this is a very fine. Yeah, are we allowed to tell the people what this costs? This particular bottle. We are, and this bottle costs a hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, hundred and fifty bucks. It is worth it. Yeah, worth it. This is a very fine spirit, people. This is very nice. You've got to have your high end stuff in any home bar, and I think the same goes with the tequila. And and Phil mentioned the Don Julio, and a lot of people have that, but something like this, I think, is a little bit more impressive because it's not as many people know about it. First of all, I think tequila drinkers people that regularly drink tequila are, are well aware of Casa Dragones, but the general public, I think this is yep. one that's still yet to be widely discovered. And But it's a, it's a high-end award winner. What's that? Tom? Yeah. Tom, do you not hear that? <laughs> do it that's again. Funny. Do it again, Tom. Do it again. <laughs> What what happened? Tom was mixing it. He got he's he's pissed off, Phil. He's pissed off that he doesn't have any tequila. Now he's going to try to ruin the show. Okay, I I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. (laughs) That was really funny. Oh, podcasting in the Zoom era. This is a this is a tequila drinkers tequila. I don't know if this if I would give this to someone first thing if they never had tequila. This is uh, I appreciate and I think you do. Because we've had many kinds of tequila before. Tom, would you call yourself a tequila drinker? Phil actually introduced me much more uh, to tequila, even though I used to work at a bar called El Rio Grande, and it was way back in the 80s. And in the 80s, <coughs> nobody drank high-end tequila. Nope. nope. There, there was about five. Uh, Dan, you would know. What were the big brands back well, then? Well, I mean, I, you know, I would say the, the very first premium tequila that started to be embraced in the United States was probably Patron. I mean, okay. what, what came before Patron? You had, you had Cuervo. 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 People used to think Cuervo gold. Ooh, it's gold. No, that's the, nah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, but that, but that's, but Dan, it, 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 it's just, um, it's just uh, an indication of, you know how there was Budweiser and a few other beers and now it's a whole aisle of beers. I think for tequila and especially with American knowledge there were we we just didn't know we thought cuervo gold is there is nothing better than cuervo gold no there, we, how so, could it, it's gold tom it's gold <laughs> and oh commemorativo what was that salsa commemorativo yeah salsa was another big one and and they're you know they're all still around these are when you're going to senior frogs or you're you know which is where tom and i and phil would be right now if we could go out we'd be at senior frogs doing sure. belly button shots of tequila you're going to get salsa. You're going to get Cuervo. And, and I'm not knocking that, by the way. Cuervo, Cuervo really helped sustain the tequila business for a long time. But then you graduate. You graduate to the Casa Dragones of the world. And life's better here, I think. I, I, I think, Phil, I mean, uh, uh, Dan and Phil, just to, to f- for my experience, I worked in a Tex-Mex restaurant that specialized in Mexican food. And we had three tequilas. You know what I mean? That that's yep. that's an indicator of where we've come. You know, that was like in 85, 86 something. No, the the industry has really advanced since Patron. 
100%. And and again, this is not cheap. It's 150 bucks, but you know, what else are you spending money on these days, right? Yes, if you love a spirit, it's worth investing in in something and it lasts a long time. It's not like wine where you once you crack the bottle, you got to finish it in a day or two. This this is will be on the shelf. Says you, Phil. It speaks to me. Drink me. So there are other brands out there. I mean, again, I I like Patron. I like uh, Fortaleza, although that's, you know, beautiful. Fortaleza's most great. of the time you're going to get, you can get a good tequila in the $50 range of 50. And, and I personally prefer generally, I prefer unaged tequila because I really love the flavor of agave. So what ends up happening when you put it in wood <laughs> is that it, it yeah. starts to extract the sweetness from the wood. It starts to extract that the Oak, the the influence of the oak into the tequila and it doesn't always work it, i think it works really well here in this one because as phil and i said earlier subtle but sometimes you can get that wood that just overpowers the agave and i'm not getting the agave in which case i'd rather just be drinking a whiskey the the wood is the single most important thing in a whiskey the influence on it whereas with with tequila no i mean i would uh, you know this is one that i uh, this is an añejo I will drink, but generally, you know, I try to go with the younger, the younger whiskeys, or younger tequilas. Excuse me, with no, with no, uh, by younger I mean no barrel, no wood on it. Does Casa Dragones, uh, uh, since my address got lost somehow, uh, is Casa <laughs> Dragones? Do they have a a, a, a lower price? You know, uh, or are they all high end? Well, this is their first añejo, so this is yeah, this the only añejo they have. They yeah, I think their Blanco is probably in the fifty dollar range, something like that. And then they've they've got a higher end. I have to look at it. Where's my research team? Research team? Research team. Oh, there we go. Uh what do we got here? Yeah, we got oh, sipping tequilas. That's it. The Blanco, the Yovin. I think the Yovin is expensive though. It might be like two hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> wow. And by the way, Phil, do you ever add ice to your uh, lump of ice to your uh... never. 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 I like straight, yeah. What do you like to eat with tequila, Phil? Uh, I'm afraid uh, I like everything with it. I think it's it's really a drink of choice. I don't care if it's Mexican food or not. I, I, I'll especially have it if we're having Mexican food, but I like it anytime as a pre-dinner thing. And I only have one. I'm not like, uh, I'm a very, I'm a lightweight. By the way, I want to tout uh, Peridura. I think they make a wonderful Blanco that's, I think, in the $30 range. And it is perfectly good for like an everyday thing. You got to have your everyday sipping tequilas around too. Right? So that's wonderful for people who want to experiment a little with that. And then their Reposado is really good. And their Añejo is really good. I think they're a great company. Um, uh, Dan, maybe you can help me. I would love to develop a tequila. Like like George Clooney and and then sell it for a billion dollars. That's what I. Who like. wouldn't want to do that? Um, yes, <laughs> you know, and that's that's an interesting. You know, everybody's doing it. You know, The Rock just came out with a tequila. Really, he did. did you try it. I haven't tried it yet. Uh, and Mike was is Michael Jordan's a tequila? Really, Michael Jordan just came out with something, and I think it's a tequila. All right, he needs to stop. Everybody's getting in the game. <laughs> uh, look, I'm kind of surprised, Phil, that you do not have your own spirit in the works right now. And I'm not, I'm not joking how do about I do that. It? I don't know how to do it. I think I'd be perfect for it because I'm very uh, uh, enthusiastic about it. I love it. I think uh, the hey, uh, bonus people, call me. I'll, I'll help you. I have a good palate. 
would you would would tequila be the spirit that you if you if ideally what would be the spirit and what would you call it? Uh, old Jew. <laughs> hey Phil, uh, the head of your marketing team just wants to talk to you just for a second about the name of your tequila. Only because I want to be able to yell across the the, the liquor store. Excuse me. <laughs> Guys, have any old Jew in here? <laughs> and that's <laughs> Phil turns around guys. every time. Old Jew yeah. tequila. Uh, by the way, Michael Jordan did launch a tequila. Yeah. Uh, so Phil, I think since you love tequila so much, and your you know your brand is food and travel, and yes. there, uh, uh, so it just seems like a natural versus yes. a, let's say a basketball player or an action yes. star. Um, or even even Clooney. So I think I think Dan, if you could just reach out to Casa Dragones, put let's table Old Jew for one, you know, just for for the other names. I'm not open to <laughs> see that you got to be able to collaborate, Phil, and that's probably your problem. <laughs> that's where I draw the line. I think you're wrong on this, Tom. I think Old Jew would stand out certainly. Yeah, on a would, bar, it would stand out on a bar. Well, listen, guys, it's always great to uh, – I've kept you too long. I know it's it's 7 a.m. and Phil's trying to get to the rest of his tequila. Um, I'm kidding. It's not 7 a.m. We wouldn't do that. It's all about responsible drinking here. Uh, there you go. It's taking off. <laughs> Love having you guys on the show always. I look forward to the next one that we will hopefully be doing somewhere in person, sipping on that brand-new old Jew on Yeho. Oh. Uh, from <laughs> Phil Rosen. Are you gonna have your face on there, Phil? You gonna have the face on there? Yeah, it'd be like this. There it is. There it is. <laughs> That's old, old drunk Jew. So something is like Phil said at the begin at the top of this segment. You got to have something to look forward to. Yes, that's life. And I'm looking forward to that for so many reasons. Yeah. So many yeah. reasons am I looking forward to you developing that? Phil, is your glass empty? Is your glass empty, Phil? I finished it. Oh Wait. my goodness! Wait, no. Oh my goodness! I, that's I that's it. there it is. Just <laughs> crash it. So, uh, Tom, we we talked about somebody feed Phil, which is available now on Netflix, streaming the brand new season. You got to check it out, Tom. What do you got going on? Uh, by the way, do you know what I'd love for people to go to? Just goes off of promoting Phil's show. I have an Instagram site called Everybody Loves Raymond 360. Yes, and, it's great. Uh, yes, and a lot of fans of the show, you know, you don't know the person behind the show. You just think those are the actors and they kind of make their stuff up and then, uh, you know, they win some Emmys. And so what I have found is because I have, I took 30,000 behind the scene photos is Phil is in 29,000 of those photos because he's the showrunner and people don't even know what that means. So for someone like uh, Larry David, you didn't know that Larry David worked on Seinfeld until he created Curb. He's just a guy in the background, you know, executive number 12 to the public who did something. And so it just for uh, if you go to Everyone's Raymond 360 Instagram, you'll see and we'll have Phil on too. We do some live thing. But you see the world that was the show and food was so important to Phil at that time. That it was only a natural extension that he did, you know, somebody feed Phil. Well, and you know, it, you mentioned that, Tom, how you come to know. I didn't know. I didn't know who Phil was either, except for seeing his name on the show. And then you did importing, was it exporting? Exporting. Exporting Raymond, where Phil was taking uh, Everybody Loves Raymond to Russia. One of the great documentaries. And that's how I first came to know who Phil was watching that, because 
oh my goodness. Like just what you got insulted, I think probably every three minutes or so on that, in that, in that documentary, they would say, oh, no, this isn't funny. This isn't funny. Can I just jump in? Because that documentary, if you want to learn about show business, that documentary is so perfect for this reason, Dan, because, you know, you're in show business, you're doing stuff, you know what it's like to pitch a show and you're going there and at every level. I don't care if you're George Clooney to the lowest you know, level uh, a guy who has a drink podcast, let's just say you. Have right, to that's sell. the lowest level. Oh, sorry. Assistant to guy who has drink My podcast. Uh, so you have to prove yourself. So even, even Clooney, it's all true. You know, Tom Cruise, you still have to pitch and sell your idea. So you see <laughs> Phil, who's going to Russia, who's already proven that this show works for nine years, wins Emmys, and is loved by people. Now he goes to Russia, and they just shit on him from beginning <laughs> to end. And you know it's so enjoyable because you know it'll work. It's And, and when you're pitching normally, Dan, when you're saying, I have a show idea – People are, you don't know because you don't know if it's going to work and people are, so they're betting on you. There's no risk to bet on Phil and yet non-stop punishment of Phil for caring and trying. It's I can't tell you how much Emily laughed at this. <laughs> uh, you know, look, everybody knows when it comes to comedy, the, the preeminent authorities in the world are the Russians. They're just, <laughs> they're just funny people. I mean, that's all we can say. So, so Phil, Hopefully it took something away from that experience uh, moving forward. Yes, I now go to other countries. Go to other countries. And uh, watch Phil go to other countries on Somebody Feeds Phil on Netflix. And check out uh, Everybody Loves Raymond 360 on the Instagram, Tom Caltabiano and Phil Rosenthal. Great having you guys here. And thank you so much for doing this, as always. Love seeing you guys next time in person. Thank you, Dan. Support for What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn comes from Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Listen, folks, when it comes to dating, it's a jungle out there. But when you do find someone who wants to take you home, you better make sure it's not a jungle down there. That's why I use Manscaped, a revolutionary electric trimmer that makes accidents a thing of the past. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Take my word on this. No, seriously, you don't want to Google snag your nuts. It's going to take you down a dark road. Another reason to get Manscaped is that you don't want to use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. That's just nasty. Oh, and Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits... Why not use it on the smelliest part of your body? Get 20% off and free shipping with the code DRINKING at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code DRINKING. And always use the right tools for the job. Always use Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Joining me now... She is the uh, co-founder and CEO of uh, Tequila Casa Dragones, Berta Gonzalez Nieves. Did I say that right? Very well. How are you? Very good. And you done? I'm doing all right. It's good to see you. Uh, I wish we were doing this in person, but this is, you know, this is going to be all right here. We'll do it uh, virtually. You're coming to us from New York now, right? I'm in New York right now, and I'm super excited to see you virtually 
and to catch up with you. Where where are you based normally? I divide my time between um, between Mexico City and New York City and Tequila Jalisco. So we're producing tequila, and then we have an office in Mexico City to manage our business in Mexico, and an office in New York to manage our business in the U.S. Now, tell me a little bit about Casa Dragones. How how did the brand come about? So I founded Casa Dragones together with Bob Pittman, who's a very well-known American entrepreneur, founder of MTV. And uh, Wait, what's it called? It, what's it called? Uh, Bob M- Pittman. MTV. MTV. <laughs> I was around for that. Come on. There, although there is no mu- there's no music on MTV anymore, but yeah. it's it's all teen moms and challenges. But yeah, yeah. I, I grew up on MTV. When when MTV was a cult, you know, really. What uh, was the uh, what was the very first little little uh, trivia for you here, Berta? What was the first video ever played on MTV? You are gonna catch me off guard right there, uh, but it was not. I want my MTV. No, I mean that's a uh, that's that's one uh, that was uh, Dire Straits, which was a big with Sting singing that part. But the very first video ever played on MTV was "Video Killed the Radio Star" by the Buggles. Fitting, epic, epic song. Yes, anyway. well, you can only imagine. You know, uh, in Mexico, actually, growing up in Mexico, uh, to get. Uh, MTV, you can only get it on satellite because it was prohibited given the content um, on open open TV. So it was only on satellite TV. So we had to congregate in houses in Mexico to go and see someone that had a satellite so we can all sit down and watch MTV. To watch it. So um, exciting for me to actually meet Bob in an unexpected party in Williamsburg and be talking to the founder of MTV and then realized after months of discussing that we truly had a, a common mission in the tequila category of actually being part of the producers that are truly innovating, making tequila in a different way and delivering extraordinary sipping tequilas. And you, you came from uh, Cuervo, right? Originally before. Okay. What was your, uh, what were you doing there at at Cuervo? I actually uh, worked for the Beckman family at that time. And they owned one of the largest, actually the largest portfolio of tequilas and one of the brands was Cuervo, but also they had 1800. They had a joint venture with Don Julio and so on and so forth. So I worked for them for uh, more than a decade and I had very key roles. I started with them in the Mexican market, managing their portfolio of tequila there, and then um, came to open their global marketing office in New York uh, to manage their business globally and had very great roles from global uh, director of innovation and new business development to commercial director of North America and really had the opportunity to learn the business from within in a family-run business, um, and uh, in pretty much a company that has shares the history of the company shares the history of the tequila category. So uh, by being there, I continue to hone in in my passion and uh, my interest for the category. And obviously, being at, at a company like Cuervo, you you learn the business inside out. So then, around what was it, around two thousand nine, you you launched. Uh, Casa Dragones? Yeah, so we founded the company in January 2008. And then we started our, the first uh, tequila we brought to market. We started selling it in, in mid of, of 2009. And it was Casa Dragones Joven, uh, which is our first sipping tequila. 
that um, is a blend of a white tequila with a five-year-old extra aged tequila, and it's made for sipping and pairing with food. Now, the, the Hoven is not an inexpensive tequila, correct? No, it's not. So what was your, when you first came out with it, I, I, I'm bringing this up because I remember a little bit of blowback when you first came out. I mean, it was over $200, right? Or in, in that range. What went into that decision to go that high? And obviously it's, it's paid off for you, but there must have been a little bit of trepidation at that point is to come into the market with a new tequila priced as high as it was. In the middle of that 2009 economical crisis. Yeah. So uh, we set on a quest to produce a true sipping tequila that paired well with food. And our idea is to showcase the craftsmanship of Mexico and prove that tequila as a category has all the credentials and Mexico has the really the attention to detail in craftsmanship to be able to compete with other sipping spirits. Cognac, single malts, you know, some of the categories that are at the highest echelon of the spirits industry. So um, we were focused on delivering something truly unique of extraordinary quality. And that's how we ended up at $275, you know, like from the decisions that we took in meticulous attention to detail in the quality of our agaves, in the way that we produce, and uh, in how we bottle our products. It's it's bottled in a lead-free crystal bottle, produced in a semi-automatic process that's individually hand-engraved and so on and so forth. So we, we, we were born in 2009 with a high-end product in the middle of a very difficult recession. So I remember going to sell into accounts in New York and people saying, well, you speak very good English, but are you reading the news? You know, like it's, we're living one of the hardest recessions in the history of American economy. And, uh, and we sold so little that we counted in bottles rather than counting in cases. Sure. So that gave us the opportunity. We survived that and gave us the opportunity to truly get to know our clients and our, cons- uh, and our consumer. And, uh, and we had the patience to really build the business one bottle at a time. So we sold that product for the first five years of, of the company. And that's the only thing we sold in Mexico and the U.S. So now the brand has obviously uh, persevered. And you got you're you're doing great to the point where you've now brought out a brand new product, your first añejo tequila, right here, right? Yes. And uh, tell us a little bit about this this barrel blend. So we're really excited. So uh, we we really believe in the power of focus. So for the first five years, we brought our our Hoven to market, which is an overlooked style in the tequila category. Then we brought our Blanco tequila that the objective of that tequila is to expose the purity of our agave through an ultramodern process. It makes a very beautiful uh, Blanco tequila that you can explore it. It's very green, very herbaceous, and it's beautiful to serve on the rocks or in signature cocktails. And with our Añejo, after after really 10 years of producing those two styles, many of our clients and customers and friends were saying, well, when are you going to come out with a truly distinct Añejo? You know, when are you going to have the chance to actually bring something um, aged? And uh, then we gave ourselves the the opportunity and the time to be able to go and explore how could we bring that too smooth uh, style that Casa Dragones is known for in an Añejo tequila. We want to continue truly bringing tequilas to market that are sipping tequilas that people can actually sip and savor. And the idea was that we went to interview a lot of different cooperages around the world. And we found this incredible family-run cooperage in the heart of Bordeaux 
that works mostly with French wines and, um, and fell in love with this particular wood in the heart of Bordeaux called Cecile wood. And um, uh, so it's a very much lighter wood than the French limousine. And then as well, uh, this American oak out of Missouri and Pennsylvania. So what we did is we custom made two different types of casks with custom toasting. Uh, and the idea of this Añejo tequila is that the tequila is actually pushing through the wood. It's really like using the wood more as, as caressing the tequila, but really the tequila owning the final approach to the taste of the product, rather than the wood really overcoming uh, the more herbaceous, more floral notes of the tequila is really that tequila pushing through. That's why it's uh, um, aged for a little bit more than 12 months. And what you're getting in terms of the results is a very beautiful herbaceous floral tequila that does have these very beautiful fig notes, cacao notes, uh, macadamia notes, um, and even almond notes uh, that are very traditional in, a, in an aged tequila, but in a very well-balanced, very complex way. You're making me thirsty here, Berta. So I think we should, uh, we've really screwed up here by not raising a toast. We were, we're 10 minutes in and we haven't had a sip yet. Now let's, let's remedy that right now. uh, I agree with you. And, um, here you go. Here we go. To, uh, to to the latest event. Oh, we're going to, you're going to, you're going to walk us through this. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. So the first thing that I'm going to bring to your attention are the visual characteristics of Casa Dragones Añejo. So these, these, these are new oak, right? So we wanted to like really let the product explore the color. Uh, we don't criticize other practices, but we don't believe in adding additional color or wood chips or anything to our process. So what you get here is almost a, it's a light caramel color with bright hues. It almost looks like a Chardonnay. You it know, does, it really does, beautiful, yeah. Very, very beautiful color. And also you can look at the walls of the glass and you can notice that the tequila has long and pronounced legs. So because it's a sipping tequila, we want to make sure that the, the visual characteristics and the, and the body characteristics of the product actually embraces your palate, plays a very important role in the experience of taste. The aroma is fresh and floral, very much in line with a Casa Dragones family with pear notes of figs and almonds. So you get uh, these pear notes that are very traditional to the agave, azul, tequilana, Weber, and then you start getting these figs and almonds that come from the wood. Yeah, I am getting that. And then the taste, uh, we can taste now, finally. Mm. I was going to say, well, well, let's, let's get to this, huh? Salud. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a rough couple months. I'd like to, uh, you know, I like to try to get some, some liquor in me as quickly as possible. I'm with you. It's a, yeah. uh, oh man, that's delicious. Traditionally in a professional tasting, you have a neutral grain spirit and then you start with a tasting. So the first sip and the second sip, the first sip is not that big of a reflection of how the product tastes like. It's more of the second and the third sip. You're priming, you're priming your palate with that first Correct. sip. So the taste is, has a beautiful notes of macadamia, nutmeg and blackberry. And the finish is a long round finish that has a very beautiful lingering permanence in your palate that leaves some notes of cacao and spicy black pepper. Just fantastic. And the idea of the finish of the product and the taste, it's actually the product itself is inviting you to sip and savor. That's why we truly believe in showcasing tequila in a different light. In this Añejo, you're going to find much less sweetness of, of many of our colleagues that are in the marketplace that do extraordinary tequilas in 
in this part of the shelf. What we want to showcase is a more dry style, a very complex and very well-balanced style that has some of those floral and more raw agave notes, really caressed with that fig and almond and macadamia notes that the, that the wood is bringing to deliver um, a, spa, a profile of, of, of Añejo tequila that's really bringing new news to that part of the shelf. Now, was there any apprehension on your part about bringing out this product right now? Because things ain't normal. No, they are not. Uh, we were uh, all ready to go to introduce this product in April. And then given the different uh, crises that we're living today, we also had to um, uh, install and uh, implement a new protocol in our production uh, in tequila in our distillery. So what we did is we had to slow down basically and have a whole for the social distancing and all that, making sure that everybody's safe down there. So um, we also didn't feel that slowed down our production, and we also didn't feel there was a time to talk about a new product anywhere. And by by the way, Berto, just to jump in here real quick, I I I need people to understand because I'm going to guess a lot of people have not been to a distillery, maybe not seen a bottling line, and. You know, it's a real challenge, I got to imagine, because normally, especially on the bottling line, everybody is right on top of each other. They're right next to each other. And to to sort of adjust to the new reality, it's got a real, I mean, I can't imagine, what does that slow down production by? by? By 50%. By 50%. Yeah. And we compared notes with colleagues in Italy, in Spain, in the US, in Mexico to like compare protocols and figure out what was going to be the right protocol for the size of our organization and so on. And um, uh, the most important thing was to insta- implement a protocol that was going to protect our team and that was going to able to continue to produce because we're a small batch producer. So our batches are no larger than 500 cases per batch. So that really gives us... Put that, like- put that in perspective, by the way. So coming from Cuervo, what's a batch at Cuervo? I mean, I, I, I won't be able to talk about what Cuervo does, but just to put it in perspective, I mean, um, uh, you know, a production for us of 2,009 liter cases of the big boys, you know, the leaders in the tequila category, they produce 2 million or 3 million cases. It's just a completely different galaxy. Yes. Of it's production a different wise. universe. So yeah. we believe in the power of focus and the core of our business. We're in the business of taste. We're not in the business of volume. So by making small batches, it enables us as a producer to focus on a small quantity and be laser focused attention to produce extraordinary quality. I love to always compare the, the, the dinner for 12 that you do in your house and you're going to buy the pasta from your friend that does pasta fresh and you go and get your pine nuts from your friend that is importing them from India and, you know, whatever the process is that you decide to do versus a party for 500 people, you need to make very different decisions. So, um, uh, so with this particular situation, um, we were able to continue with our production. And at this point, because uh, of our size of our company, we were able to also export to the U.S. Um, and have uh, our, our first batches for the Mexican market. And at this point, um, given our size, it's important for us to, to sell what we produce. So we're going to continue to work closely with all of our retail partners that have been uh, incredible partners to us since we started, and we're going to move forward with introducing the product with all that. And this is just happening part. now. Like you're just this is hot off the presses. You know, this, this is, is I mean, the bottle that we sent to you 
is uh, if you can read what it says is on the label, gone. It's probably no. <laughs> it's probably batch one or two. What does it say? So you have batch indeed, one, batch one. Batch, you have, bottle number. Look at me, all special. Um, Thirty-nine oh four. Yeah. Which bottle number? Which bottle number do you have? And I have thirty-nine, thirty-nine seventy-eight. Oh, so have, I'm higher up the chain. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> I'm feeling special now. It's special. I mean, it's our first batch, so I uh, hopefully you'll keep it. Too late on that. I'm already halfway through the. Not not on this episode, but I mean, I, I you know I did. Uh, we did it, you know, with Phil Rosenthal, we had a little bit of it too. And then I, uh, may have had a little after the recording with Phil Rosenthal. It's just, it's a really nice tequila to just sit back and kick it. And obviously the way we consume alcohol when we're not in a pandemic is different when you're out and you're, you know, you're doing, but there is something about it right now I'm finding with sipping spirits that, as opposed necessarily to a cocktail, because a cocktail makes me want to go out, especially a tequila cocktail. I want to be out. I want to be at a party. I want to be. So I've had to, I've had to sort of tailor my drinking strategy to the new reality. And, and, and a big part of that is, is sipping spirits, stuff that I can just chill out on my sofa, watching Netflix, praying that whatever, the hell else the universe is going to throw at us isn't too bad and uh and you know and 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 getting wrapped up in the warm embrace of a fantastic tequila like this one yeah i mean i i i think that that space right now of people actually really choosing um you know what they're drinking and choosing you know a lot of people want to be choosing and knowing more about the producer that they choose to explore and for us if we can provide the journey of taste and you can really, truly like enjoy what we're doing for us. We've done our job, you know, for us, we want to find uh, people out there that enjoy our product as much as we enjoy producing it. Well, I'm, uh, I'm in that camp. I want to thank you, uh, Berta, for coming on to the show and for sending me tequila. <laughs> really thanking you for that one. Uh, it is a the Casa Dragones, tequila Casa Dragones barrel blend, brand new Hot off the do you do you know what the retail is on this thing? One one fifty. One fifty. A steal, right? What else you spending your money on these days? You know, you're not you're not going to the clubs, you're not taking vacations. So treat yourself. Really, treat yourself. It feels good. Drop $150 on this bottle of tequila, and I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed. Well, thank you for all your interest throughout time, Dan. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me on the show. I'm excited to see you well and see you excited about life and uh, always uh, showcasing that passion for our industry. So in the name of everyone in the spirits industry, thank you for, for your blog. Thank you for your podcast and thank you for your passion for, for, for the spirits industry. We appreciate it very much. Well, you're welcome. And I know I deserve these plaudits. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, again, I want to thank uh, Berta Gonzalez Nieves for joining us on the show. And we'll be right back after this word, these words, this word. Oh, I've had some tequila words, sentences from our sponsor. My friends, can I be straight with you? Right now is not the time to overpay for razors at the drugstore. In fact, you shouldn't be going to drugstores at all if you can avoid it. 
Harry's knows this. That's why they ship directly to you so you can experience the quality of a Harry's shave in just a few days from the convenience and safety of your own home. Why Harry's? Well, it's a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. We're talking $2 a blade. They've cut out the middleman. Harry's uses a German manufacturer that's been honing precision blades for a century. Those high-quality blades go straight from the factory to you with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let Harry's know, and they'll give you a full refund. So I've got a, uh, I got an offer for you. I've got a little deal. I'll make you a deal. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's, and listeners to my show, What We're Drinking With Dan Dunn, can redeem their Harry's trial at harrys.com slash drinking. That's harrys.com slash drinking. Redeem it. You're going to get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, some rich lathering shave gel with aloe, keep your skin nice and hydrated, very important, and a travel blade cover, keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Because eventually you're going to get to go somewhere again, I promise. So go to harrys.com slash drinking to start shaving better today. On Thursday, June 18th, I'm going to be doing a nightcap live with, yes, Phil Rosenthal. I love Phil. I can't get enough of him. Nightcap Live, of course, is the thing I do every week on Flaviar's YouTube channel. Go there to check it out Thursday, June 18th. We're starting at a new time this week, 9 p.m. Eastern. So from 9 to 10, I'll be rapping with Phil live on Flaviar. We'll be giving away prizes. Please tune in. Also on Thursday, June 18th, I'll be showcasing some whiskey on the Adam Carolla Show. So check that out as well. Remind you, if you dig this podcast, please take a minute to give us a rating and review, particularly on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. It really does. And spread the word about the show on your social media. I would love you if you do that. And if you let me know about it at The Imbiber on Instagram or Twitter, I promise I'll give you a shout out on the show. Let your friends know about what we're drinking. Now, before we go, the other night I rewatched the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory film. And I got to tell you, it really made me feel good. Cheered me up something proper. I think we need to do that as much as we can these days. Engage in activities that lift our spirits instead of just reading all the bad news being thrown our way and getting sucked into the morass of the 24-hour news cycle. There's one line from Willy Wonka that everyone knows. After Wonka, who was played by the late great Gene Wilder, invites his guests to sample the lickable wallpaper where... The snozberries taste like snozberries. The famously spoiled Veruca Salt sneers, Snozberries? Who ever heard of a snozberry? That's when Wonka takes her face in his hands and with great intensity says, We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. That happens to be the opening line of British poet Arthur O'Shaughnessy's Ode for Music and Moonlight back in 1874. Over the years, it's been sampled for songs, books, and even appropriated by the Church of Scientology. Anyone who considers this among their favorite quotes should definitely check out O'Shaughnessy's entire poem. Again, it's called Ode. But the quote that jumped out as most apropos to this show is one that Wonka borrowed from another famous wordsmith, Ogden Nash, from a poem entitled Reflections on Icebreaking. And it's the thought I'll leave you with today, my friends. Candy is dandy but liquor is quicker.